electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. How many hikes? That is the question. After a much stronger than expected jobs report, at least on the surface, we'll debate the state of stocks and rates with the Investment Committee this Friday. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, and Pete Najarian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It's good to see everybody. Let's go check the market, see where we're trading at 12 noon in the east. And we've been a little bit around the way today. Dow's now negative by 114. NASDAQ positive by 114 or so, but quickly changing, as you see there. The 10-year note yield, well, that's a big part of the story today, and yields are ticking higher, 192, so the march towards 2% on the 10-year. Pete, that's where we'll begin. Where does this leave us now at the end of another volatile week? Yeah, and, and when we listen to those job numbers and everything, Scott, I think that it, there's a lot of telling things there, and we start looking at, well, how is the Fed going to react? Things look awfully strong. A lot of of, of thoughts about the job creation that was out there, or at least those that were getting jobs, or that was those numbers weren't even close, especially when you look at the revised numbers going back to December as well. Not even close, 510,000. I mean, the, the numbers are sh showing us that there is strength there. People are returning, whether it's vaccines and boosters and whatever, people feeling much more comfortable getting back in the workforce, hourly wages going up. I think all of that says, says to us that uh, in a lot of people's interpretation, we're going to see the Fed start to make some of the action, maybe a little bit more action than we even anticipated just not too terribly long ago. So I think that there's a lot to this move. And you look at volatility and where we are right now and these moves that we're getting each and every day, Scott, a lot of it catalyst driven, of course, with earnings and so forth. But it's just a, it, it, it's a wild ride right now within the markets, because are you wanting to focus more on crude? Are you looking at inflation? Are you looking at jobs? What are you looking at? And each and every day, of course, we have to go through that and and that's why we are in the market. That's why we're seeing this kind of volatility, this kind of velocity, this kind of volumes and participation that we're seeing in the markets right now. It's so funny. You know, after the report came out, the, the first bit of commentary was, oh, my gosh, the, the Fed's going to ha may have to do 50 basis points. That was back in in the conversation. Um, Steve Leisman's been doing a lot of work underneath the surface to try and make better sense of the jobs report. And as he points out, just before we came on the air via Twitter, the household survey was much weaker than the headline number would suggest. Maybe that is why uh, the Nasdaq, for example, has has turned positive and is the market is not as, as certainly as bad as it looked right off the open today, given the jobs report and then the Fed being once again in focus. Shannon, I want to read you something that Dan Niles said in the last hour on CNBC. I thought it was pretty interesting. Quote, I hate to mention the word recession, but when you've got oil going up this much, the economy is slowing, multiples are compressing, and the Fed is not your friend, cash is a position. I wonder what you think about that in the context of where you're advising people to be within the market today. 
Cash is still a really difficult place to be, Scott. Uh, if we look at expectations for equities this year, we're still looking at, you know, a, a high single-digit number with cash earning you essentially nothing. And it's going to take some time before cash can earn you a position. Now, if you're a more active trader and you're using it, obviously, from an institutional um, capacity to fund uh, purchases and some of these uh, pullbacks that we've seen, because we certainly could get another couple of pullbacks this year, similar to one that we that we had to experience in January. But I, I think the other part of this is that, you know, Dan is setting up a scenario which is, you know, not necessarily completely out of out of touch. Um, but we're not looking at the stagflationary environment that people were so fearful of six or eight weeks ago. Um, and I think this employment number shows that. But I also wouldn't put too much emphasis on this particular print for jobs. We've had significant revisions. Steve talked about it on Twitter, as you mentioned. And, you know, there's been a lot of erratic reporting as it relates to households and employment over the last year and a half. So, again, I'm looking forward. I know the Fed's going to be data dependent. I think rushing to assume that we're getting a a sharp deceleration in economic data and that the Fed is going to be significantly more aggressive because of one particular monthly non-farm payrolls print is probably overstating the situation. But let's let's say this, Weiss. I mean, Oil, uh, just piercing, you know, Dan Niles' comment here, oil is going up, as he says. The economy is slowing from where it was. Check another box. Multiples are compressing. Check that box as well. And the Fed most definitely is not your friend anymore. So why is he wrong? I mean, painting the picture that it's just going to be much more difficult for equity investors, at least in the near term, and that stocks have to come down more than probably people are expecting. You know, I don't know why he's wrong. I don't know why he's right. I really haven't thought about what what Dan said. I know what I'm looking at. And what I'm looking at is a market that rose on the base of a globally easy money policy. And now we're reversed. We're going to a global tightening. So to me, that's all you got to know. And if you spend time, get away from the people that are typically on this show, including me, the people that come on that are in that, you know, upper end of society in terms of of what they earn and the world they live in and you go into the real areas of the country you see people are getting crushed 70 percent 75 percent not just here i was in london as you know last week everybody's complaining about energy prices can't heat their homes can't do anything that's what you got to focus on so the fed will be aggressive Markets, I hate the markets, hate them for a few weeks, still hate them. It seems like it's not a great trading market either. You can make some money here, you can make some money there, but you can lose a lot more. So I just see a terrible risk-reward balance in the market. And by the way, Mark's really done nothing since mid-year last year where stocks, so many of them, gotten crushed. Okay. And the ones that have gotten crushed okay, are then crushed why? more. So, Okay, then why isn't, as as Niall says, cash is a position, suggesting that maybe that is a best place to be at the moment, given the variety of factors that he says and and you uh, seem to be intimating as well. I mean, it is a fact. Oil is going up, which is a a potential problem. The economy is slowing. Multiples, as we've witnessed, are compressing, particularly along the most risky parts of the high valuation market, and, and the Fed is going to be more aggressive. You're, you're painting a similar picture. This, you're just saying it differently. Right. No, well, no, I was focusing on his use of the word recession. 
And I'm saying you don't have to get to the recession to see the market decline. I welcome Dan on board because cash has been my largest position for weeks and weeks. So congratulations. Took you a little while to get there, Dan. And I'm kidding with Dan because I used to work with Dan. I know him very well. But that's where I've been. And I agree. I'd rather have cash a depleting asset. I'd rather have cash a depleting asset. I can tell you're still sending in dinner invitations. Yeah, you're still like friends with Dan Niles, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I was actually yeah, that's a disclaimer that goes board, scrolls yeah. across the bottom of the screen. Right, right. Man, I missed you the last few days, Weiss. It's good to be back. Uh, Farmer Jim, thank you. You like my smile? Where does this Scott? leave us? You like my smile? I'm smiling. Where does this? Where does this? Tur- yeah, turn that frown upside down, Weiss. Jim Labenthal, <laughs> where does this leave us? I think we're in no man's land. And that's not good. That's not bad. Okay. I don't, I, I still don't think we're going down to the lows of last, you know, two Mondays ago, unless you get a catalyst. But the thing that worries me is as I look forward over the next three, four weeks, I see quite a few catalysts, right? So I see, I don't know what's going to happen with Russia and Ukraine. And I'm not pretending that I do, but that could go badly. And if it does, that would give us a whoosh down. Um, you know, in two weeks, the continuing resolution for the current uh, finances of this country run out. And while we all know that will get taken care of, there's always the drama that goes on around it. And there's always this last minute brinksmanship, which frankly causes the market to go down. So that's on the negative side. But on the positive side, you got to look at the fact that, number one, jobs are plentiful. I mean, that's I find it hard to conjure up a recession when jobs are plentiful. I see where oil is, but I know that oil has a positive effect as well on the oil patch here in the U.S. So I'm putting all this together, Scott, and where I come out with is the stock market is right where it should be. And it's likely to oscillate around this level, plus three or minus four percent. Um, for the next several weeks, we got to get some more CPI, PPI reports. We've got to get through the March uh, Fed meeting, and then we'll get a direction in the markets. But the last thing I want to say is profits are still growing. Mm-hmm. Yes, the rate of growth has slowed, but profits are growing. Combine that with jobs are plentiful. I find it hard to embrace a recession. Okay. Um, you referenced the jobs report, and as I said, maybe the number itself nor the revisions tell exactly the, the story. I mentioned what Leisman had to say on Twitter, and I'm just going to read it for people because it seems to suggest that if you're looking at the jobs report numbers and saying, hey, everything's great, boy, the street got it wrong, job growth is still plentiful, maybe you're getting it wrong. Here's what Leisman said. The household survey, which has done a better job tracking jobs of late, was weak. Removing population revisions, job growth actually fell by 272,000, and the number of unemployed rose by 135K. This is much more in line with street forecasts for a muted gain or even a decline. Now, Jim Labenthal, I'm going to ask you this, okay? Yes or no answers, please, right? I'm the judge. I can tell you how I prefer you to answer the questions. If you don't answer it, then we have a problem. Um, Is oil going up, Jim? Yes. You want more? You said yes or no. Is is I'm not finished. Is the economy slowing? Yes. Okay. Are multiples compressing? Oh, now you can no, you got to let me add to this. Multiples They're have not? compressed. They have compressed. Come on, I've okay. played your game. Aren't this they continue they, you got to let They me continue to compress, too. don't they? No, what? but they they continue to compress. Right? They can they have been compressing. They continue in certain cases, to, to be compressing still. And the Fed is not necessarily as friendly as it once once was to you, Jim, right? And nor so is the market at the Why aren't any of those... 
Why aren't any of those enough of a catalyst? And I remember the conversation I think we had on Monday where you suggested the market knows everything. And that's everything's built in except for Russia, Ukraine. None of the things that I've mentioned to you, which actually impact spending and earnings and the things that actually make a difference to stocks. But it's Russia, Ukraine, the thing that I have to be most worried about, Jim. Um, Yes. Yes, Scott, it is, by the way, that and the continuing resolution running out. And I'm sorry. I mean, earnings are what they are. Multiples have come down, right? We're at about 19 times this year's earnings. And you know what? The 10 years at 1.9 percent. It's not at 3 percent. And the Fed funds rate is zero right now. And the Fed is still buying bonds right now. The point that I'm driving at is the market has brought this all into play. This is not new news, what you're talking about. Fourth quarter GDP was 6.9 percent real. We knew that Omicron was having an effect in December and January. We knew we were going to slow down this quarter. That tells us nothing about what the rest of the year is going to do. It's highly likely that you come out of Omicron, that supply chain bottlenecks continue to ease as they have been, and we get back on track. But you got to get through February, and there's a lot of crap in February. I already listed it, and there's no other way to describe it than that word. Okay, let's bring in Tom Lee now, who for some people is arriving to save the day. Uh, in the market because Tom Lee has been bullish, as you know. Tom, it's great to have you back. You've been calling for a, quote, violent rally in February. You certainly did the other day on, on Fast Money. That was this past Monday. Now I'm wondering what you're thinking today, given the jobs print and expectations that you're going to have a hostile Fed sooner rather than later. Hey, Scott, how are you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I, I heard all the comments uh, all the other guests made, and, and I agree, this is a pretty treacherous period for markets. But I'm still going to lean into this weakness. Uh, and the reason we think it makes sense to is, one, I think the job support is, is validating that the underlying economy still remains pretty strong. And with the move in rates, uh, and while that's alarming, we still have negative real interest rates. And then we know investors have essentially panicked because um, they raised a lot of cash uh, in the first eight weeks of this year. And on top of that, sentiment uh, has collapsed. And I think, you know, a, a seismic hit like Facebook even added to that misery. So uh, the cues I'm sort of looking at and the reason we're staying bullish is, you know, the VIX term structure uh, is actually normalizing, which means we're it's a risk on signal. And I'm, I'm kind of encouraged by the rally in oil, uh, because that is a sign of underlying health of the economy. And I think on a risk on, uh, one of the cues that we should be focusing on is the fact that Bitcoin's back above 40,000. So we're still going to tilt towards February is going to end up being a rally month. But clearly the last couple of days have been you know, horrifying. What happens if the 10 year goes over 2 percent, Tom Lee, is the market able to have a violent rally in the face of a 2% 10-year. Now we are, what, 30-some-odd percent predicting a 50-basis-point move uh, or at least another, another hike. I can't remember where we are, at least at this point. But the fact of the matter is the market's expecting a more aggressive Fed this morning than it was yesterday. 2% 10-year doesn't throw you off? Uh, I mean... It's, it, it is about perspective because, you know, for someone who, is, who started to track rates, uh, you know, in 2020 at 50 basis points for the 10-year, it's obviously alarming. But, you know, in 2019, the 10-year was over 2%, and it was nearly 3% uh, 
well, actually almost three and a half percent in 2018. So I, I think a two percent tenure, and its CPI is three. We still have negative real rates that really generates excess returns for risk assets for assets deployed for real estate. Um, so I, I view it as a risk on signal still. So Bank of America is out with some commentary. I'd like to get your reaction to it, if, if I could, Tom. They talk sure. about, quote, an inflation shock, uh, inflation shock, uh, second half of 21, which we, we witnessed, the rate shock in the first half of 22, and a growth shock in the second half of this year equals negative returns in both credit and stocks. You want to take issue with that? Uh I mean, I agree with their, that there's, these are shocks, meaning inflections. Um, I mean, growth, you know, U.S. real growth is still going to be positive, but it can't match the numbers that we saw in 2021. Um, but, you know, can do stocks need 5 6 7% GDP growth to actually still go up? Uh, they don't. They need nominal growth. Um, and nominal GDP growth still be 7%. And if we have the 10-year even though it's been a rate shock at 2%, that's still a 50 PE for the a government bond, and you're still paying nearly 25 times to buy a high-yield bond. So can the S&P PE hold at 20? I think so. And, you know, I think there there's still innovation that's being generated by this pandemic, because even though people talk about how great this employment report is, there's, you know, there's still 2 million less people working today than there was at the end of 2019. But productivity has allowed total output to actually exceed that. I mean, I think, I think that's pretty impressive. So that's operating leverage. So I, I think this would still be a great environment for stocks. And, and again, there's $142 trillion of assets held by households, of which like 60% are in bonds. I mean, we have to remember, households have to decide how much credit they want to own if the 10-year yields are going to go up because they're guaranteed to lose money owning any kind of bond. And so guaranteeing TINA, I, I just think, means it flows into equities, into risk assets, real estate, and, and even crypto. Well, you've been continuing to recommend when it comes to equities, the fangs, right? And after you picked your jaw up off the floor uh, from Facebook's print, I'm wondering what you think of the fragility of, of that trade, whether you think it's still intact. Now, obviously, Facebook doesn't tell the whole story because there are other Fang components, Amazon included today, which knocked the cover off the ball and Apple, Google and uh, some of the others did did as well. Microsoft is the one I'm, I'm trying to think of. Um, you worried about that trade at all, Tom? I mean, you're not getting a massive follow through today in Nasdaq like you got a drift lower or an elevator uh, down lower in, in Meta. Yeah, it's a great point, Scott. I mean, foremost, uh, if someone said, uh, hey, look, investors are so bullish, uh, you know, that uh, they're buying anything, you know, the Facebook sell-off just shows you the market is nervous and has a hair trigger. So to me, I think it's really a confirmation that conviction in this market is not that strong, which I just don't see as a sign of a top. I think at a top, everyone's bullish and, and they'd be, you know, saying they're going to buy the Facebook chip. I, I don't think people are. But yes, from a market perspective, it is a huge economic blow, uh, primarily to holders of Facebook, because, you know, the reality is Facebook's sort of earnings miss doesn't have much implication for GDP generally, because, you know, as, as you know, it's not really going to hit the ISM or the PMIs and probably not going to hit employment. So to me, it, it shows you that there is a company specific issue. 
But would I be looking at 26% sell-offs as a buying opportunity? I mean, strangely, I'd say I think Facebook's going to be higher before the end of the year. Uh, but, of course, you know, you have to let uh, all the sellers sell and, and, and sort of position square. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. But before I do, I, I just want to confirm that you think that we're set up for a 13% gain, uh, presuming you're talking about the S&P 500, a 13% gain over the next six months. And we're going to hit new highs after we get through uh, this treacherous period. Is that what correct, you think? Correct, Scott. That's right. Uh, yeah, we, we published something this morning just highlighting that since 1938, if you look at the type of waterfall decline the stock market had, which is almost 11% over 14 trading days, that's actually... Uh, a, a, like a three percentile move in markets, and over the next six months, the median return uh, is around thirteen percent. So this is just saying within the next six months, the S and P reattains forty-eight fifty or so, uh, and that's 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 our base case. Yes. All right, Tom. I appreciate uh, hearing your point of view, and I know our viewers do as well. And uh, I've said it a thousand times, at least at this point, probably ten thousand. Uh, you've been right. We're going to see if you uh, remain that way. Tom Lee, thank you. Thanks, Scott. Tom Lee from Fundstrat Global Advisors with us. All right. I want to, uh, because we haven't heard from some of you regarding Facebook since the print, and I know there, there's ownership. Weiss, uh, we have an issue that we need to discuss, okay? Because um, I need to, I need to square one? something with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Believe it or not. So on Monday, before Facebook earnings, you said the following, and I quote, you're going to want to continue to own the large cap growth stocks because they've been defensive and they're going to perform. They are cash rich. Today, I come to find that you sold you sold your trading position in Facebook before the earnings. Uh, And then after the print, you trimmed your core position. Right. And you trimmed your core position after the earnings, and then you did it again this morning, and then you may throw in the towel altogether. So what happened between Mondays? You've got to stay in large-cap growth stocks and then where you are today with Meta. Help me understand that, my man. Sure. I'm happy to walk you through that. I'm going to do it slowly so you really grasp this one, Scott. So look. Yeah. All right. Here's the story. Um, four of them, right, or five of them, you named them all, four performed pretty well, one didn't. I missed it. I feel like an idiot for missing it, particularly I'm sitting in London, and you can't get on a website without declaring whether you want to look at ads or not. And uh, I did sell my trading position before the before uh, they reported. I was clear on that. I sold a sliver down about 70 bucks on the night they reported, and I've been lugging the rest of it since. It's been, it's been a mistake. You can't get them all right. Uh, unfortunately, the one I got wrong is the most painful of them all. And it's been my intention to get out of Facebook since I cut the position in half before building it back up, by the way, uh, when they had the issues or whatever, six months ago. So look, I missed it. Uh, that's, there's, it's never too late to learn. I learned something every day, despite being in the markets for over 30 years. Uh, the others did well. I maintain the fact that, uh, my opinion, that the others will be defensive. They will outperform the general market. 
and Facebook won't. I think Facebook's overvalued here. I've seen this before. It's got the worst going for it. It's declining users. Now, we saw that with Snap. We saw Snap snap back, pardon the pun. But Facebook's a little different. You know, we've always been waiting for the... Uh, for it to, to rub off and for people to stop going on Facebook, we're finally seeing that. But I don't think it's going to snap back for users because it's a hated company. Everybody hates it, and you have too many other options, number one. Number two, when they're going from a company that generates incredible cash and their CapEx is really you know, somewhat limited, they're now going and spending all that CapEx into something that we don't even know if it's going to pay off. And by the way, where they're only sitting in the driver's seat, so to speak, because they have cash, not because they have the technology that's superior to a Unity or to an Epic Games in terms of the metaverse or others. So it's really uncertain, in my view, and it's going to take way too long to play out for the metaverse to be rewarded. In the meantime, I think it's going to be a sinkhole. So I'd rather be with the others. Uh, I equivocate somewhat on Google because of their ad model, um, but I still think it'll do fine. So, so that's my thought process. Got caught in Facebook. Okay. Terrible on my part. I feel worse than 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 you know than I could possibly feel on this because it was an obvious mistake okay. as I was making it. Okay, I, I appreciate the contrition. I know I know our viewers do as well. I appreciate you being honest. Uh, about the, the way you truly feel about the investment going forward. So, Shannon, and by the way, Snap seems to be dealing with the iOS issue uh, in a better way than Facebook is vis-a-vis -vis the earnings and then the reaction, obviously, in, in, in the stock. Shannon, you own Facebook. You're overweight the stock. What now? Less, yeah, less overweight now, frankly, to be honest. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that there is a transition here that's happening. And uh, it's been a really challenging week, and I hope we get to talk about the other stock that's in my portfolio that had a much better week. But um, I think from a Facebook perspective, Steve makes a really good point, and I know I never say that, but he really did. Nobody likes this company. You don't want to own the stock. And so when, the, when something like this happens, our expectation is, is that we could see another 10 or 15% down from here just from a sentiment and overhang perspective. So if you're looking at this from a fundamental perspective, stocks selling right now somewhere around 15 or 16 times 23's earnings. Um, that's pretty cheap for Facebook. We saw a similar disconnect or, or dislocation in the stock price when they went to mobile in 2012, as well as to stories in 2018. So this isn't something that we have, we don't have precedence for. But again, both of those periods, you also saw this sentiment overhang bring the company down. Um, I think the Snap story is actually relevant here because I think you make a great point, Scott. They've navigated this particular change a little bit better. Snap is also very specific in that they curate their content for a very specific type of market. And so they're not going to have the overall user growth that you could get from Facebook in, in its myriad of apps. But I think that they have done a better job of saying, hey, you know what? How we get around this is we actually put out content that we know that our users really enjoy and our target users are going to enjoy as well. So I do think that it's going to be a tough road for the next couple of quarters with this stock, which is why we didn't add to it on the decline. But I'm not putting it out of the uh, realm of possibility that we could add to it later this year as we get this addi these additional sentiment sellers. Okay. Uh, Pete Najarian, are you a, uh, a sentiment seller of the position that you have or are you standing pat? 
I am not for right now. I'm standing pat, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. Tom Lee already discussed the fact that he thinks it's going to be up by the end of the year. I think he said something like 13%, 15%, something like that, um, from this point where we are right now. I think on top of that, Mark Mahaney was talking about the macro trends that are out there um, are temporary. I, when I look at this company, what bothers me most right now is they've got to get their focus back, Scott. They're putting all this money, as Steve Weiss mm-hmm. just defined for you, with this with Meta. And, and I'm okay with them wanting new things, but they have not done a great job in doing that over their past history. They've made 91 acquisitions since becoming a publicly traded company. So because of that, it tells me who they are. They can do a great job analyzing companies and making that through acquisition. I'm not so sure they're great at building it past Facebook itself. So when you look at Instagram and you look at everything else, it's the, the, the real parts of Facebook that bring in the money, the ad revenue. They're losing right now. They've got to refocus, and I think they will. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We've got committee moves to get through. There are several that you need to know about. Their buys and sells are coming up. And do not miss the second monthly meeting for the CNBC Investing Club. Jim Cramer breaking down each name in the trust portfolio. He's taking your calls. He has an exclusive interview with AMD CEO Lisa Sue. To be part of the exclusive member-only event, go to cnbc.com backslash join the club. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. U.S. jobs growth surged by 467,000 last month. President Biden says that the surprise number is a sign of a strong economy. History's been made here, but it comes alongside the largest drop in unemployment rate in a single year on record. The largest reduction in childhood poverty ever recorded in a single year. And the strongest economic growth this country has seen in nearly 40 years. Historic economic progress. The two men convicted in the killing of Ahmaud Arbery are heading to federal trial. That comes after both men withdrew their guilty pleas on hate crime charges. Gregory McMichael and son Travis McMichael previously reached a deal with federal prosecutors, but then it was rejected by a U.S. District Court judge. And on the news tonight, what to expect from the jury selection that's taking place on Monday? That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. 
And Twitter is beginning a global test of a new feature. It's a downvote. A similar feature has been part of competitor Reddit since 2005. The social media company says it's still experimenting with downvotes as a way to give feedback on offensive or irrelevant tweets. Be interesting to see how this is used. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good weekend, Rahel Solomon. All right, an update now to a story we've told you about, the activist fight going on with Kohl's. Well, Maselum has been pushing for more board representation, as you know, and urging the company to put itself up for sale. Kohl's had, in fact, received a couple of takeover offers, which the company is now responding to today. Kohl's saying the offers, quote, do not adequately reflect the company's value. Kohl's also today adopting a poison pill. Now, Maselum is responding, telling me exclusively new at noon, quote, we are disappointed and shocked by Cole's hasty rejection of confirmed indications of interest. This morning's rejections, which come just two weeks after outreach from potential acquirers, only validates for us that a majority of the board is entrenched and lacks objectivity when it comes to evaluating value, maximizing sales opportunities relative to management's historically ineffective standalone plans. John Duskin, who was on our program recently, you may recall, says, quote, we will do everything in our power to prevent the current board from continuing to chill a normal course sales process. So those are the uh, latest comments. You see Kohl's shares uh, up 2%. Kohl's rejecting those takeover offers, adopting a poison pill, and then Maselum and John Duskin uh, responding uh, in kind and certainly uh, not happy about that response that they got from Kohl's today. We did reach out to Kohl's as well, as you might expect, and uh, we haven't heard back from them yet. But if we do, we'll certainly let you know by the time our program's over in a little less than 30 minutes. All right, let's go through, uh, through some of these committee moves that I mentioned we have today. Jim Labenthal, I think... If I recall, you had suggested that you were getting close to spilling the coffee into the garbage can, and you finally did. You sold Starbucks. Why so? Yeah, Scotty. I mean, you got it right. You you caught my tone the last two or three times that we talked about this, that I was rapidly losing interest. But I wanted to give the company a chance to uh, outperform. Last last week's quarter didn't do it for me. Um, what I've got here is a high 20s multiple for a stock that's growing at 10%. And in that sort of condition, that's a peg ratio of about 2.9. You could still see that multiple come down. I just don't see any money to be made here. Um, look, fabulous product. They treat their employees well. They're a good corporate citizen. But I'm in this to make money, not to pat the company on the back. So I've sold it. That raises my cash, by the way, to about 6.5%, 7%. Uh, I'm looking for individual stocks that I like that might blow up over the coming weeks on earnings that I can add to. Okay. Um, Steve Weiss. You bought more Netflix yesterday. Tell us. Yeah, how, how was that for a good move? It was down last I looked. Uh, look, it, it's a trading <laughs> position. It was a pretty small trading position. Once to size it up. It came down about 5%, uh, you know, from where I bought it actually twice. Once at about 400, once higher than where it is, and again, higher than where it is. So I think the stock will recover. It's got a unique franchise, and I think they really stand alone in terms of their value offering to uh, to viewers. So that's why I bought it. And I still have conviction in it, but I okay. don't think I'll be there for years like my other core positions. Okay, you just let us know what you do there. Uh, Shannon, you bought Intuitive okay. Surgical. Tell our viewers why. Well, we have continued to try to find innovation in sectors outside of the traditional tech sector. And Intuitive Surgical represents that. Only about 2% of surgeries are robotic-assisted at this point. And given the, the uh, favorable outcomes and l actually lower cost per patient 
for these procedures, we believe that this will continue to grow as a percentage of procedure volume. Risk here is, of course, you know, around hospital capbacks. We would love to see um, some additional support from the government in terms of uh, particularly, you know, rural hospitals being able to purchase some of this equipment. Um, but overall, we think this is a great way to play both increasing procedure volumes as well as the need to become more efficient um, as the uh, healthcare network looks at their overall costs. Okay. Uh, and Pete Najarian, you sold Microsoft calls, right? Yeah, I did. I, I, I you know, I, I've pulled out of the stock position, Scott, but I trade around it all the time with the options. And obviously with Microsoft, it's got its ups, its downs. And when it's got sold off a little bit too much, I'm, I'm happy to trade the options themselves. That's exactly what I did. I'm out of that position now. Still have the stock position. Scott, I want to mention one thing. You were talking about Kohl's when we came back on. Uh, we see option paper, not necessarily today. We have been seeing that for quite some time in there. I think the disappointment that people have in Kohl's and why we're seeing so much option activity over the last month, give or take, and, and since the stock was 49 all the way up to where it is right now, is they're looking back and they're saying, you know what, here is our value. We've hit 78 on multiple occasions. I think that people are expecting to see Kohl's at some point. Maybe something does happen, but I, I think that they, they're going to have to push that level up from where it was and where that original bidding was. And I think that's why we're seeing so much option activity over the last month or so in that name. Okay. Pete, you're in a pretty good mood today, right? I mean, pretty jovial guy, right? Pretty I happy? Yeah. 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 You take, you, you've seen Ford? <laughs> hey, hey, me yes. too, Scott. Huh? You've seen Ford? <laughs> Weiss has never had. You've seen yes, Ford? I do see Ford, yeah. I'm jovial. All right. We're going to talk more. We're going to talk more about that after the break, Pete. I don't want to upset you or anything, but it's coming. Oof, down 10%. Plus, all February, CNBC is celebrating black history. Here is CNBC contributor Greg Branch with his advice for future leaders. I'd like to remind our current and future leaders during Black History Month, those of you who have broken down barriers and shattered ceilings and kicked down doors, is that the community needs you to stay vocal, visible and involved. Your very example can help broaden horizons and aspirations. Hearing how you got there can help engender the motivation and discipline needed to take advantage of today's and tomorrow's opportunities. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Pete, those Ford calls are now roadkill. They are. <laughs> the puff of smoke. <laughs> it's not fun. I, yeah. I will define it like this, though, Scott. When, when we're looking at Ford, for instance, we go back to September, okay? I was just taking a look at this. They bought 25,000 of the November 14 calls. That they rolled when we got to uh, October, and they rolled it up to the 19 calls in November. And so I've been rolling with that. That's something we talk about all the time. We talk about unusual option activity is when we say to you, what really intrigues us is when somebody's been right, but they still want to be in the trade. So they went from the November 14 calls to the November 19 calls. And then most recently, they went all the way to the March 25 calls when the stock was at 22. So we've been rolling along with this trade for a while. And there are many, many more trades than what I just said. But it's been almost all exclusively bullish and forward. So, yes, these calls, you know, sooner or later, something will come to an end. This one has come to an end. These are a puff of smoke. We're willing to acknowledge that because we know nothing ever grows all the way to the, to the, you know, the clouds. And that's exactly what happened with Ford. $25 is what it hit in mid-January. Now we're back all the way down. As a matter of fact, they're buying some puts today in Ford as well. So it mm. shows you how fast that sentiment can change uh, post-earnings today. No doubt, because I remember looking at the chart uh, later in last year, and it was beautiful chart, right? And how quickly things can change. Straight up. Pete, yep. you'll be back with us shortly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unusual activity is coming up after this. Pete, unusual activity. Tell us what you have. All right. So, Scott, when you look at the sectors right now, you're looking at financials up pretty nice. You talked about the 10 year being at one nine. And here we are looking at about up about a little over one percent on the financials. Bank of America hit stock was trading a little over forty seven dollars a share and they bought five thousand of next Friday's expiring forty seven and a half calls. They didn't pay very much for these, Scott. They only paid between forty four cents and a little bit more than sixty cents for these options. They last just one week. So it's very, very short term, but the stock is already on the move actually since those calls were bought and we started to see a little bit more of a push to the upside. The next one is ASO, Academy Sports Outdoors, kind of like Dick's and some of those. It's a really interesting company that has not been trading very well. It was up in the 50s. Now it's down towards 36, but we've got a buyer of almost 6,000 of the April 40 calls. They're paying about $2.40 for those calls. They're hedging those calls, Scott, against the 45 calls. So not looking for this to have that explosive a move to get back towards 50, but certainly expecting that stock to get back over that 40 level and somewhere maybe not too far north of 45 by the time we get to April. I'm in both these trades. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you for that. All right, Ask Halftime's coming up next. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. If you're invested in the chip space or have interest in investing in chips, you've got to get the question today that we're going to ask everybody about. Some actionable stuff coming up right after this. Welcome back. It is time for Ask Halftime. I told you we have one question today from Doug in Vero Beach, Florida, who writes in and says, I want to add semiconductor exposure to my portfolio. Do I pick NVIDIA at 85 times earnings, 
AMD at 45 times or Intel at nine times? Jim Labenthal, I'm very surprised to the answer you gave our producers, but why don't you tell our viewers what it is? I know you're very happy about my answer, Scott, because there is a strong potential that I may get back. I, there's a strong potential I may get back into Intel soon, and I know that will tee it up for you to have some wonderful time spiking the football in my face. I know you've missed those the last 18 months that I've been out, but basically, this is a business about scale. Intel is the second largest semiconductor company out there. Scale matters. It gives them better margins, and frankly, they may well be turning it around. I'm going to give it a little more time, though. Also, listen to my final trade for a better pick. When did you sell Intel? Where, where was it? Do you remember the number? Because I don't remember. It was, around, it was around this level. So it was not a good sale. I think it was October of 2020. But the reason it was a good sale is, you know, the last four quarters or whatever it is, I haven't had to listen to you and Josh just beat me over the head about NVIDIA versus Intel. I've really enjoyed it. No, but in all, in all seriousness, and I, and I truly want to be serious here, you, you sold okay. it disgusted, disgusted at basically the same level. And now you're talking about buying it back at nearly the same level as you sold it disgusted. I mean, well, I, I you know, as that? usual, Scott, I'm not quite sure where your surprise comes from, because note that the stock market <laughs> is an awful lot higher in the last 14 months, 14, 16 months. So on a relative basis, there's a reason to look at Intel. Multiple has come down quite a bit. And as I just said, it looks like they might be turning things around here. So it's a different story now with a different relative uh, valuation here. Weiss, you trimmed Skyworks and Corvo, two longtime uh, stocks of yours. What would your pick be on this list if you had to pick one? NVIDIA at 85 times, AMD at 45, or Intel at 9? Uh, can I go short? I'd go D, none of the above. I know you said pick one. They're all too expensive. The semi-cycle is over from an investor standpoint, not from actually a business standpoint, although there's been some weaknesses we saw in, in Skyworks and Corvo. So I'm just not there. I think there'll be a time, but it's not now. Those are way too expensive for me. Okay. Uh, Jim Labenthal's aforementioned final trade and the others coming up after this break. All right, Pete, we're going to do final trades in a minute, but tell me about Rally for Valor, which I know you're proud of and we're proud of you for. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Yeah, and thank you for letting us highlight this. Yeah, during the pandemic, I was reached out to and we became a sponsor of NASCAR and Tommy Joe Martin's just a wonderful guy. And NASCAR has been a great relationship with them as well. But the interesting part is we continue this through 2022, this season of racing as well. And it's we're really, really excited. You know, we've partnered up with Alpha Prime Racing. They're a great partnership as well. And we've got great sponsors with the Navy SEAL Foundation as well as the Robert Irvine Foundation. All of that gives us the opportunity to, to host for these folks these, the Rally for Valor. We're hosting with the Gold Star families and military folks, members, as VIP guests to the races. We're really excited. Daytona's coming up. Good-looking car. Uh, there it is, Market Rebellion. Pete, good stuff. Thank you for uh, doing that and sharing Thanks. that. Uh, with our viewers. Yep. By the way, I told you if we if we heard from Coles, I was going to let you know before the program ended. In fact, we, we literally just did. Uh, Coles uh, responding now to John Duskin of Macellum and, and his comments earlier today. We have a high degree of confidence in Coles strategy. That's what Coles said 
basically referring us back to their original statement when we had Duskin on. Remember, Macellum, part of an activist group, they want more board representation. They had also urged the company to put itself up for sale. He's going to be on the closing bell today, so you want to hear the latest uh, from John Duskin a little later this afternoon. We're going to have to be quick, guys, so let's do final trades and just give me a name, Shan. Estee Lauder. Okay, Pete. Helmrich and Payne. Farmer Jim. NXP Semiconductors. Steve Weiss. GXL Logistics. All right. Uh, good stuff, everybody. Keep your eye on the markets. I know uh, the exchange certainly will. Have a good weekend. I'll see you on the other side. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.